This is episode 893 with Sports Visa lawyer Ksenia Myrova. If you compare the earning opportunities and some of these STEM professions versus your earning opportunities in sport, in I sports, I mean, <laughs> again, even if you're very, very good in track and field, I mean, it depends on what event, but unless, you know, like, Field people don't make money, period. I don't care mm. if you're standing on the podium. They don't make money, you know? Um, so you've got the the distance runners, right? Like your Kenyans and Ethiopians that are doing really well at road races and at, yes. you know, stadium races. They make money, but only like the top, you know, a few percent of them do. Mm. And then you have the sprinters, right? But like field people, it, it's still, it's work. You know, yeah. the, the jumpers, the throwers, they're, they're still, they, they put in as much work as the sprinters. I love the sprints. Everybody loves the sprints. But, yes. you know, but give these people some credit. They're incredible mm. athletes. Welcome to Athlete Maestro, a podcast tailored for athlete development, improvement, and peak performance. And now, here's your host, If you flashback, guys, to episode 551, that's when uh, the last time that we had a, a legal person, so to speak, on the podcast, which was Stan Francis. But, you know, his activities were more related to the football side of things. So the actual playing, getting players' contracts and all of that. But you see, this particular episode with Ksenia, the sports visa lawyer, just in case you're having difficulties pronouncing her name, just call her the sports visa lawyer. And of course, that is trademarked as well. I thought that was absolutely brilliant. So you can just call her the sports visa lawyer on um, Instagram. And of course, uh, you, you'll find her. you see all the things that she's doing there. This was such a, um, how would I describe this episode? This was an episode that proved and showed expertise. I don't think I've been on an episode before on the podcast, you know, which didn't have to do with performance. And I told Ksenia this as well, that, you know, this doesn't have to do with performance. It's it's what happens off the field of play, off the court, specifically as it relates to visa opportunities for athletes. Oh, trust me, guys. It showed how knowledgeable Ksenia was, how much she's a master of a craft. So in terms of showing expertise, uh, trust me, this episode had every single thing. And what makes it even better, guys, is that even for me, with my sports background, this isn't something that I knew too much detail in. I mean, yes, I knew student athletes go to the US to compete, you know, but the intricacies of some of the other things as it relates to sports visas, even I did not know. So it was special. Very special bringing Ksenia on. We talked about so many things, guys. We talked about, you know, the, the different tiers and hierarchies of visas that you have, how you can get these visas, the advantage of getting visas, what you need to have to get these visas. And, of course, we, we dovetailed into coaches as well, into family members, parents, all these athletes, because I feel like, you see, knowledge is power. Yes, as they say, but trust me, if you don't act on the knowledge you have, yes, you have to get it, which we are giving you here. On Athlete Maestro with Ksenia, then you have to act on it. I feel like so many, so many athletes have passed up opportunities like this just because they were not aware of the things that they could have done, the things that they could have pushed that, of course, would have helped them long after they've played their sport. So we talked about so many things. We talked for over an hour. And trust me, it doesn't feel like a legal episode. You are going to be glued to your earpiece or to your phone the entire time that you are listening to this episode, the entire time you're listening to this episode. And of course, uh, you know, you can hit up Ksenia 
on Instagram. She shares her details on how you can follow her. This episode, guys, is brought to you by my free email course on how to build your mental toughness. Yes, this is all legalese in terms of what happens off the court. But trust me, to earn the opportunity to get some of these visas, right, you have to ensure that you are performing. And one of the things that would help you perform is the mental side of the game. Head over to athletemaestral.com forward slash mental toughness athletemaestral.com forward slash mental toughness to get your hands on that free email course trust me it will change your perspective to sports especially when it comes to performance and of course when you're performing you can now take advantage of all the opportunities that Ksenia mentions in this episode when you've signed up for that free email course come back to this episode yes it's two lawyers talking but trust me it is what Athlete Maestro is all about. Ksenia Myrova. If there's anything I know about athletes on, on this side of the world, it's that you know we're always attracted to uh, the big leagues, the big countries where things are happening, where you know decisions are being made. You see a young Nigerian-African basketball player is trying to get to the US, to the NBA. So a lot of our talk is going to be centered you know, around those possibilities and all of that. But can you tell us in a nutshell quickly what you do? I have followed you. I know you, but I'm sure mm-hmm. a lot of people might not have followed you just as much as I have. Right, right. So I think it bears mentioning for the purposes of framing this conversation that I'm an immigrant myself. Um, I mm. am originally from Russia. I immigrated to the United States when I was nine years old in 1991 and um, received, you know, my formal education in the United States, became an attorney. Uh, I originally started out as a corporate finance attorney. I worked on IPOs and M&A in London, and (laughs) I absolutely hated my life. It was the most dreadfully boring stuff I have ever done. And uh, despite the money being great, I found no personal fulfillment in that. Mm. And um, I came back and decided to kind of, um, you know, pay back for, for the successes that I've had as an immigrant and get into immigration mm. and provide an opportunity for others to take advantage of the American dream, as we call it here. And um, and so I got into immigration. I didn't originally set myself up to be you know a specialist in immigration uh, in a subset area of sports mm. visas. I was a general practice immigration attorney. And um, I kind of fell into sports immigration because... I, you know, I'm a fan of sports, and I've, I've been connected to a few people who are fairly prominent in sports. There's a, an American sprinter named Justin Gatlin. You may have heard of him. Oh, wow. Um, he's yes, a I friend have. of mine from undergrad. So Justin and I have known each other now for over 20 years, and we're very close in undergrad. And when I went to law school, he was uh, competing in his first Olympics in Athens in 2004. Four and And... As time went on, you know, I would just follow him and follow his professional journey, and I would go to some of his competitions, and, um, you know, I I even went to the world championships. My first world championship was in Moscow in 2013. I helped uh, take his parents around and help translate because Russia is not a place where a lot of people speak English, so there were challenges (laughs) <laughs> and um, and then people just started coming to me and asking for sports visas. The first one was Justin's coach at the time, Brooks Johnson. Um, he came to me and he said, hey, I have this athlete and I need a sports visa. And I said, well, look, um, I'm an immigration lawyer. I know that exists, but I've never done one and I don't know how to do one. 
And he said, well, I trust you'll figure it out. And this was a guy <laughs> that you don't say no to because Brooks Johnson is a legend in track and field. And he's been coaching Olympic caliber athletes for like 60 years. He's an older guy. Um, wow. He's been around for a really long time. It's just like I said, you know, he has an overwhelming presence. And when he tells you to get something done, you say, okay, yes, sir. Yes, and, sir. <laughs> and that was, uh, that was my story. So when he said he wanted me to figure it out, I had to. Um, and I did. And I filed my first one and it went well. But in the process, I discovered that the way the law was written was really with other sports in mind, more like team mm. sports, more like major league sports. So there were a lot of areas where certain industry practices in track and field didn't really align with what the law wanted us to provide alongside the application. And so mm. I had to come up with you know creative solutions to still get it done and to still get it approved. And after I got my first one, they just kept coming. Um, mm. So referrals from you know, from Brooks, uh, referrals from Justin's training partners, and it just kind of blew up. And over time, obviously, track and field is still my bread and butter. That's the primary sport with which I work. But I've transitioned into working with athletes from other sports. Um, you know, I've done a lot of bodybuilders, figure skaters, wow. uh, a lot of people in um, the martial arts space, MMA, boxing. So it's really become much more... Um, diversified than it originally started but it's an area you know to kind of go back to this idea of loving what you do this is an area that I love that I'm passionate about and you know and, and I'm so excited to have this conversation with you because it's always exciting to talk to people who have an equal love for the sport and who mm. nerd out on the intersection of sports and law so this is great I love it. Uh, your, your story is absolutely beautiful. And it, it reminds me of, um, uh, so there was a sports agent, one of the biggest sports agents in Belgium, who I also recently had on the podcast. I think it was sometime last year or thereabout. You know, he works with some of the biggest footballers in Belgium. And how did he get into sports agency? It's a typical, it's a replica of your story, right? There was one mm -hmm. person who came to him and said, I'm trying to sign this contract with this team. Can you help me out? Because he was a lawyer even while he was playing. So he helped out this one person. And from then, it literally just dovetailed into everybody coming to him. Can you help me with this? Can you help me with this? So yeah. I absolutely love your story. But let, let's start at the foundation, if we can call it that. I'm okay. an athlete. I Maybe let's, let's use track and field now, which is something that sure. you're very familiar with. And you would also guide us on the others. I'm an athlete. I see that there's a competition that is going on, you know, in the United States, some part of Europe. The first thing that is coming to my mind as an amateur who doesn't understand the process is that I could just get a regular visa. So like mm -hmm. a visitor's visa, a tourism visa mm -hmm. to go to this country. I'm going to run my race or do my sport or whatever it is I'm there to do. And then I come back to my country. Let's start at that foundation what is the process like? What should athletes like that be doing? So that's actually permissible under U.S. law. Um, so the wow. U.S. visitor visa, if you've ever had one, you'll notice that the passport stamp will say B1 slash B2. Okay? B2 yeah. And the B1 classification has slightly different purposes than the B2 classification. But you're mm -hmm. getting sort of a two-in-one. And when you get to the port of entry in the United States, the immigration officer is going to ask you, what are you here for? 
And if you say that you're just here to run in a competition where the only um, the only remuneration that you're getting is prize money, mm-hmm. then they will stamp yes. you in as a B1, okay? And mm-hmm. that's a permissible visit within the scope of that type of visa. Now, where you want to get into something um, that's more long-term or that provides a broader opportunity for revenue-generating activities is where you're looking at either um, a situation where you're sponsored by a shoe company, for example, which is the vast majority of track and field athletes to the extent that they are sponsored. It's going to be a shoe contract, so it's going to be Nike, Adidas, Puma, one of those big ones. Or where you're getting sponsorship money from other sources, perhaps your federation is paying you some kind of base salary. I know that the Nigerian Federation does do that. Um, then you know it might be because you actually want to stay in the U.S. for extended periods of time because you're mm. competing and training in the U.S. Um, as you may be aware, the vast majority of world-class track and field athletes, regardless of what country they represent at world championships, the Olympics, and other major competitions, they actually train in the United States with American mm. coaches, with American training partners, um, and, and that's true because, A, we have the facilities, and, B, we have a, a, you know, a climate where, at least in the southern states, athletes can have access to the track year-round, which yes. means that you know, their, um, their competition preparation is just going to be that much more efficient because they have the ability to access the, um, the outdoor track year-round right. because of the climate. So, um, so there is that. Now, you may also know that a number of Nigerian, among other athletes, um, are in the NCAA, which is our collegiate division. So they're competing on behalf of U.S. universities and um, and training at U.S. university facilities, which is a very high level of training uh, for track and field and a handful of other sports where, um, you know, that level of competition is really commensurate with the pros they're uh, very often competing alongside the pros at international competitions so um those uh, those particular athletes would be here on a student visa as um as students at u.s universities so it would be the same kind of visa that you would have if you were merely an academic scholar so you're just coming to the u.s just to study whatever it happens to be that you're studying at a U.S. university, these athletes will have the same type of visa. Um, beyond that, then we're kind of getting into the area of extraordinary ability visas where you know there's sort of a hierarchy depending on how good the person is, where in the career they are. And that goes all the way up to a you know what's colloquially known as a green card, which is a permanent residence permit, which allows a person to stay in the U.S. forever if they wish. And um, you know, sort of the higher up you go, so you know, the more permanent it becomes, the more high stakes the accomplishments have to be, right? So, for somebody to get a green card to the U.S. on the basis of their extraordinary ability in the sport they have to demonstrate that they have reached the very top of the field of endeavor. So it would be things like, you know, lots of medals at ideally the world championship level, if it's an Olympic sport at minimum participation and ideally finals at the Olympics, um, you know, participation and medals at other major continental championships. So like Africa games, um, Asian championships, uh, African championships, uh, things like that would be important. 
where you're looking at athletes kind of being left out in the dark, right, is where it's somebody who is maybe quite good, but they're not, you know, they're not competing at Nigerian championships, they're not competing internationally, they're just good on a local level or maybe a collegiate level in Nigeria and not able mm. to sort of transcend up yet. Um, those people are not quite ripe for an opportunity with extraordinary ability visas, and they would need to look at something like maybe getting um, a student visa to go to the U.S. And, you know, and a lot of times we see athletes really flourish once they have an opportunity. Like, you might be able to go to the U.S. as a regular student, right, and get a walk-on position with a university team, and then given the opportunity to train uh, whether, you know, we're talking about basketball or track and field or, you know, some other sport, athletes can really flourish given the right environment and the right support. So um, so we've definitely seen those stories as well. Mm, fantastic. And you, you touched on so many things there that I'm going to I'm going to break it down a little bit. Let, let's yeah, start with this um, student visa, you know, um, and we're going to come back to the issue of when you get your B1, B2 visa, you come to the U.S. and then, you know, you mentioned that you're here for this activity or that. Now, I am a young athlete, you know, I'm in Nigeria. You know, I see, just like you mentioned, an opportunity in the NCAA, in the NAIA or whichever of the divisions it is. What's my procedure? What is my starting point? What do I do to ensure that I get that student visa, you know, with an eye on sports so not just um a student visa to just go to uni where i can do yeah. the work on i actually kind of want that sponsorship a little bit type of thing right so that's a really challenging question because a lot of it is about getting in front of the right kind of person who's going to be able to kind of you know pull you in and and get mm. you connected with the right people um you know so how do you get yourself and your accomplishments in front of a you know a U.S. coach at a at a university to say hey look you know do you have scholarship money for me um, mm. you know if you're and I know you guys have uh, a lot of sprint talent right so if you're if you're a guy who's you know borderline sub ten and you know you probably have a decent chance of on those accomplishments getting to a college or university in the U.S. and potentially getting a scholarship the question is how do you make yourself known to that college or university, right? Mm. And and that's sort of a mystery, right? A lot of times, you know, it's about like just reaching out and then just, you know, hitting up the coach and saying, hey, I'm running, you know, 10-1 uh, and I yeah. really think I have an opportunity, you know, with your help to get to shape that down to a sub-10. Like, look, even Justin Gatlin didn't run a sub-10 in college. So mm -hmm. if you're like, a borderline there that's you know that's a significant accomplishment and that's going to get eyes on you obviously you know the more the closer you are to being good already the more opportunities you will have and the more likely you will be to grab the attention of a coach but you know scholarship money is limited and not everybody is going to be good enough to get that scholarship and so for some athletes, it may be sure. that they have to just reach out to the university, find out how much it costs to enroll and enroll, and then mm. hope to God that they can, once they're there, mm. you know, prove enough athletic ability to mm. walk on and then transition to getting some scholarship money um, mm. with the understanding, again, that, you know, scholarship, I was just reviewing data on this the other day, 
I mean, the average scholarship for track and field um, between men and women is about thirteen to fifteen thousand dollars a year. That's wow. going to be significantly lower than the cost of attendance at most universities. Even state universities are really in the ballpark of about twenty-five thousand a year. Now, hmm. that's not to say that no international students are on full scholarships, right? Um, it definitely happens, but the last international student that I had that was on a full full scholarship, she's um, you know she's at Berkeley. She's an Olympic finalist. Oh, Berkeley, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, okay. That's that, that. That's that's understandable. So it's not um, um since you're going down the sports route and you actually you know are applying for that scholarship. You know you need that access to the coach and things like that. That that makes a lot of sense. Now coming back to what we started with, you know the B one B two visa. So let's assume you know that this athlete has come to the U S with a B one B two visa. You know you're asked what you're here to do and mm -hmm. you want to compete in this particular tournament. Now, sure. after competing in the tournament, you do well, and then there is a possibility, probably your eyes open to the possibility that, you know, I, I can do more here. Just like you mentioned, mm -hmm. the facilities sure. in the U.S., you know, are massive, they're huge, you know, and, and all of that is there. What procedures does that type of athlete go through? Do they have to come back first to their country, you know, then apply or how, how does so again, it's going to depend in part on whether they have the achievements to level up. Right. Mm. So if they are somebody who came on a B1, B2 and, you know, like, let's say they went to a major competition, like, let's say they went to, I don't know, like a uh, Prefontaine Classic or something like that and mm. did really well and, um, you know, got first place there. Now people are like, who is this person and where did they come from? And, you know, and suddenly colleges are paying attention. They want to bring that person in then you know and and let's say while they're here they get offers from like hey this university wants to bring you on the team this university wants to bring you on the team they need to get a student visa um i think your question if i understood it correctly is can that process take place without the person leaving the u.s and the answer is yes and no um if they have if they're <laughs> eligible for something right they can file for a change of status in the U.S., but a change of status does not give you a new visa. A visa is the oh. you know the stamp in your passport that allows you to enter the U.S. after you have departed and you're trying to come back, right? So if you have mm. a B1, B2 stamp in your passport, you entered on that stamp, you change your status to an F, which is the student visa, and then you leave the country. Let's say you go home for you know the winter holiday you're trying to come back in January and you're trying to come back as a student before you can come back, you will need to visit your consulate, your U S consulate abroad and get the F one stamp mm. because you know, you want to think of the visa stamp as sort of your ticket to the border, right? So you've got to have mm. the right kind of ticket for, you know, the type of uh, status that you're trying to be admitted in, right? So if all mm. you've got in your uh, passport is a tourist visa or a visitor's visa you cannot be admitted as a student because you need the student mm. visa to be admitted as a student. So can they change and stay? Yes, they can. But the moment they leave, in order to come back, they're going to need to get the visa stamp. Oh, which, which would explain why 
you know, certain athletes in the past have had that issue, you know, where yep. they were just trying to get back in and then it was like, you know, where's your student visa and things like that. Well, that's, that's fantastic. Now, when that student is done, you know, so, uh, for example, you're at Berkeley, you're with the Florida Gators, you're done with your three-year, four-year college stint and you want to remain in the mm-hmm. U.S., either to further your athletic career, either to continue training with the hopes that, you know, something better comes up, something, um, a genuine opportunity, you know, to actually be an athlete comes up. What does somebody like that do? What, what What's the procedure for that? Because you came on a student visa, you're done with school, yeah. but you now want to remain for whatever reason. How, how right. does that take shape? So that's that's Pandora's box right there. Because, you know, I'm going to give you the lawyer, <laughs> right? It depends. It depends. Yeah. Um, it depends on a few things, right? Um, if you're going to mm. try to stay within sort of the the purview of sports visas, right, and something related to your mm. sport, then the question is going to be, okay, you went to a U.S. school, you competed as a student athlete, did you do anything remarkable? At this point, mm. when you graduated, have you done, you know, have you been a finalist in the NCAA? Have you represented Nigeria or whatever other country you come from as a part of the national team? It may be at the U18 or Mm. U20 or U23 level. It doesn't matter. But have you done something internationally that would help establish you as an internationally recognized athlete? So, you know, Mm. if the answer to that is yes, if, you know, if you've done um, some of these things that I just mentioned. So you've competed as a part of the Nigerian national team at international competitions at any level, youth, junior, senior. Um, if you then, for example, um, you know, uh, did well in the NCAA, let's say you've got some NCAA All-American awards, um, maybe some athlete of the year, maybe you're a finalist or a winner for the Bowerman, which is the uh, the top award in um, track and field. In college, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so maybe you could use some of those accomplishments to document your application for a P-1 visa. Now, in the hierarchy of sports visas, the P-1 visa is sort of the entry-level visa. It's the visa mm. that I get typically for my athletes who are in the situation that you described, where they're transitioning from their collegiate career into the next step of competing, you know, training as a pro, Uh, competing as a pro or maybe you know even if they don't have sponsorships but they're just beyond their collegiate eligibility they're continuing to compete as an athlete very thankless Mm. business unfortunately um attractive (laughs) athletes are vastly underpaid but that's a Mm, whole other topic that we can uh that we can bring down later um but you know but ultimately that's going to be sort of the the next step up you know but that's not to say that people can't skip like i said i just did a green card for an athlete who was an NCAA athlete who went to the Olympics and was a finalist. And I did her green card while she's still in college. That's still, that's very possible for the right kind of athlete. Right. Mm. Um, It's going to be an exceptional case, but, but it does happen. And so we always want to look at what is the athlete done, you know, and, and what they best qualify for now to kind of shift gears a little bit. You may have, and I know that um, this is something that's uh, you know particularly strong in your culture and in mine actually. Mm. Also, is mm. um, Nigerian students are are typically very academically gifted as well. 
Um, yeah, they do yes. well academically. <laughs> True. There's a lot of pressure from the parents to succeed, especially... To go to school. Yeah. Right. Especially <laughs> given this opportunity to do it in the U.S. and to, you know, to perhaps have that be the bridge for yourself and then down the road for other family members. So I know there's a lot of pressure to succeed. And so, look, mm. if you've got, and I've had these consultations too, if you have an athlete who's graduating, you know, with a 4.0 and I don't know, astrophysics or something, um, and, and they're not that great as an athlete, they're not going to be the next Usain Bolt, then maybe what they need to look into is, you know, moving forward on the basis of their degree and attempting to get an employment-based sponsorship um, you know, based on their degree. And that may have more mm-hmm. prospects for them than an extraordinary ability visa. Because again, you know, a visa is just temporary, right? It, it, it's going to you know, give you time to see if you can get there to the very top. And if you don't get to the top, that's it. That's the end of the road, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I always talk to these athletes who are in the U.S. as, um, as student athletes about pursuing degrees that make them marketable in the U.S. job market and mm-hmm. that make them competitive in the U.S. job market. So, you know, ideally you want to look at STEM degrees, not humanities degrees, uh, which are far mm-hmm. less marketable and far less likely to translate into uh, employment-based sponsorship for a green card for permanent residence in the U.S., you really want to be focusing on these STEM professions, which are in high demand in the U.S. So, you know, your science, technology, engineering, mathematics professions, those are the ones that that are going to be, um, that are going to serve as the best platform for sponsorship. And again, you know, if you compare the earning opportunities and some of these STEM professions versus your earning opportunities in sport, sports, I mean, <laughs> again, even if you're very, very good in track and field, I mean, it depends on what event, but unless, you know, like field people don't make money, period. I don't care mm. if you're standing on the podium, they don't make money, you know? Mm. Um, so you've got the, the distance runners, right? Like your Kenyans and Ethiopians that are doing really well at road races and at, yes. you know, stadium races, they make money, but only like the top, you know, a few percent of them do. Mm. And then you have the sprinters, right? But like field people, it, it's still, it's work, you know, yes. the, the jumpers, the throwers, they're, they're still, they, they <laughs> put in as much work as the sprinters. I love the sprints. Everybody loves the sprints, but, yes. you know, but give these people some credit. They're incredible mm. athletes. And unfortunately, mm. as I'm sure you know, the compensation is just not there. So again, you know, a lot of times True. even very accomplished athletes are not able to make a living wage mm. from the sport. Um, mm. You know, the, the statistic on track and field in particular is that less than um, half of top 10 in the in their country ranked athletes make more than yes. $15,000 a year from the sport. $15,000 a year. That's like half of minimum wage here. Wage. You know? <laughs> Just for a point of reference, it's it's not True. livable. You know, I was literally I've I've worked with athletes who, you know, who were sleeping on the floor, like on a mattress on the floor, and didn't have mm. a kitchen table or a couch because they couldn't afford it. And they were just and they were training for the Olympics. These are people who had you know who had been to the Olympics and were training for their Very next cool. one. I mean, this is how crazy it is. So mm. I don't know, and I find it highly it's, problematic. It's, 
it's amazing you mentioned that you know because that that's one of the things that i also you know apart from the, the legal angle you know the the podcast itself athlete maestro it it aims to better guide these young athletes you you've just made a very valid point you know because i see some athletes who you know they're only attracted by the one percent of the one percent you know so mm-hmm. they think everybody's going to be like usain bolt or lebron james who is going to be a billionaire you know playing yeah. sports and that that's just not the case like you've mentioned Correct. a lot of these athletes don't actually make money you know it's it's for other reasons so if you don't connect with your reason for wanting to go into it and you think that you're going to you're going to throw the shot put for example and you're going to be the next billionaire athlete you know yeah yeah more or less just wasting your time but that's a that's a conversation that we can have in and of itself you know to delve yeah. deep into it but you mentioned the p1 visa do we have any mm-hmm. other types of sports visas for athletes yeah so um so you know there there are any no, there are a number of other options that may be available so the next rung up from the p1 is going to be the o1 which requires you to be you know at a very high level so for the, whereas the P1, all I'm looking for is sort of have you competed internationally. It doesn't matter with what result, right? Mm. <coughs> so mm. even if you haven't won championships, just the fact that you competed as a part of your national team, that you were present, that's generally going to be sufficient to get you the P1. Now mm. the O1, that's a whole other beast because you have to show that not only did you compete, but you also were winning, right? Mm. And we're talking about Really, the difference between, and especially as the law has developed in these two areas, the difference between the O1 and the Extraordinary Ability Green Card has been largely erased through uh, some wow. policy decisions that um, U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services has um, articulated in the past like, year to two years. So, you know, so really you do have to show that you have reached the very top of your field of endeavor as an O. So with an O... I'm looking at, you know, continental medals at mm-hmm. minimum and lots of them. If I don't have, you know, an Olympic medal or, you know, a world championship medal, I need you to have lots of continental medals to, to make mm-hmm. the case, right? Um, you know, things like perhaps national records, continental records, things like mm-hmm. that, really, you know, elevating you and your achievements in sport. It's very important. Um but, you know, but that kind of begs the question of, okay, if you have that, is there any reason to not just go for the green card? And oh, so I think it's important to um, to say that there's no prerequisite for a green card. So there's no, you know, um, there's no requirement that you have an O visa or a P visa or any other kind of visa at all prior to having a green card. Um you know, you can apply straight for a green card if you meet the accomplishments. I've done this for a Nigerian athlete, actually. I'm not sure I can oh, mention wow. the name. Um, I'm not <laughs> That's sure fine. He wants it out there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll ask him, and if he lets me, if he lets me, then I'll update you, and you can put it in the comments to this or something. Fantastic. Um, but yeah, but we did his as a straight transition from um, from a, a B1 B2 visa to. A green card and, and he was approved without issue because he was you know, very very accomplished mm-hmm. that's that's great that you mentioned that but what happens i'm just i'm just thinking and i'm imagining to myself that you know you have just processed either a p1 visa an o1 visa or a green card you know for an athlete you know based on their accomplishments and their abilities what happens if shortly after 
that visa is granted, the athlete gets injured or the athlete is yeah. unable to continue performing their sport. What exactly happens in that type of situation? So that's a really great question. And uh, the consequences are different depending mm. on, you know, whether you're on a visa or whether you already have the green card. Basically, mm. to get either one, you have to be a competitive athlete. You have to show that you're continuing to do this because the whole premise of granting these visas <laughs> is to, you know, to bring the best and the brightest to the U.S., right? Mm. So, um, so I've unfortunately had consultations where somebody, you know, called me and they were a, for, a former world champion. It's like a, a track mm. and field guy, a former world champion. He calls me and he's like, hey, you know, I kind of dropped the ball. I thought I was working on a green card with somebody and they, you know, they didn't really do it. I thought they were doing it. They didn't really do it. So I want to know if I can do something now. And I'm like, wait, and I know this guy. He used to train with Justin. And I was like, wow. you haven't run in at least three years. I know you haven't <laughs> run in three years. And he's like, you know, a good 40 pounds heavier than he was mm. when he was running. So he's not in running shape right now. And I was like, okay, look, if you can get back in shape and get out there, then we can do it. Mm. But if you're done, done, then we're, you know, like there's nothing here because not, we have to demonstrate that you will continue work in your field of endeavor. Because again, you know, this is the whole premise of, of these visas, right? Is, is to mm. bring those people and their talents and to have those talents be applied while they're here in the US. Now there's nothing that requires you to keep doing it forever, right? Yeah. At the same time, there's no like particular length of time that you're required to do it to not have your green card taken away. So let's say mm -hmm. I got an extraordinary ability green card, I'm an athlete, and let's say, you know, three months later I suffer a career ending injury. If down the road I'm applying for my citizenship and the officer is like, hey, you only competed for three months after you got your green card, what happened? And they say, hey, look, you know, um, here are my medical records. Like I tore an ACL. I was not able to come back from that physically. It wasn't, you know, anything that I planned. Then I don't anticipate that being a problem. However, if you get your green card and three months later, you make an announcement that you're voluntarily retiring from the sport because you're just, you know, over it. Um, and, and you've gotten your green card and perhaps, mm -hmm. you know, the, it was just a means to an end for you, then you may have a problem down the road. And, and there's no magic number of months or years where it's okay, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it has to be logically defensible, right? Mm -hmm. So... I, I tend to think that, okay, so if you do it for at least a year, that's probably, this is, you know, sort of my line personally. It's not articulated anywhere in the law, mm -hmm. and it's highly subjective. But I think that if you get your green card and you continue to be a competitive athlete or, you know, a coach or, you know, or a commentator or whatever, you know, profession in the extraordinary ability space that you got it based on, as long as you keep doing it for at least a year, I think you're safe, Right. And if it's less than a year, you got to have a pretty good reason for, for why, right? And it can't be like, I was just over it and I voluntarily retired. Mm. So generally, generally, what do you usually advise your athletes to do? So for example, you know, I, I have a P1 visa and I believe based off of my performances, I'm getting close to 
either you know getting the old one or a green card do you, do you advise your athletes to go for it or is it something that you just leave them to make that decision if it's something they want you know then they let you know so um it's a little bit of both right like what i do is i keep tabs on my athletes right so if mm. i got somebody a p then i'm going to kind of keep tabs on them and you know and make sure that i'm following their performance and when i see that they've done something i might reach out and say hey look this accomplishment could potentially qualify you for the next mm, step this. If you want to do it or not and sometimes you know honestly sometimes the answer is no um mm. you know because we kind of we've been having this conversation with the assumption that everybody wants to be in the U.S. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> and, and maybe that's true for the vast majority of people, and probably very likely true for the vast majority of Nigerians. But that may not be true for people who are coming from Europe. And so mm. I had this conversation recently with an athlete um, who is a Dutch national, and I was like, "Hey, you know." This this guy is so accomplished. Like he's been, he's got he's got the ring tattoos, uh, the Olympic oh, wow. rings, the Olympics, and and, and he's mm. he's filled in the circle with each of the years that he's been to the Olympics. So he's been to the five. Five. Okay. Wow. Five. Right. He's been Ooh. to the five. He's got his tats filled in, and I'm like, hey, it's time to, you know, like you're there, you're there. Let's take the next step. And he's like, you know what? I don't think I want to. Like I'm wow. cool. I'm good. You know. Um, and that's okay, right? Because mm. for some people, for tax reasons or personal reasons or whatever sure. the case may be, you know, it may just be, you know, it may be cultural. Like for some people, it's really difficult to adapt. And, you know, mm. I think it's easy for me to kind of say, oh, yes, everybody come to the U.S., you'll love it. But I came when I was nine years old and I came from a country that was so poor and so mm. closed off that literally when I landed in the U.S. and they stuck a can of Coke in one hand and a Snickers in the other, I thought I landed in heaven, right? <laughs> I was like, this is it. This is Mecca. Like, I don't ever want to go back. I'm American for life, right? Mm. But, but that's not mm. what the process everybody else goes through, right? And I appreciate that as an older person, Immigration is much more challenging, you know, professionally, mm, emotionally, logistically. And, you know, and I kind of got to experience a little bit of that um, when I first started my career. I mentioned I was in corporate finance. I actually worked in London for the first three years of my career. Oh, wow. So, um, so I moved to the UK, right? But I'm already very Americanized. Mm, and so mm. it was a cultural shock for me in a lot of ways, which you don't think, right? Because, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not a developing country. It has a lot of the creature comforts that we're used to in the U.S. But there was still enough of a difference to where I found myself feeling, you know, sometimes very stressed and very frustrated and, you know, and really mm. suffering from the burdens of, like, being an immigrant and not 100%. Uh, fitting in and I was 24 when I mm. when I made that journey right and so again you know what what I was able to reiterate for myself through my own personal experience is immigration at 24 is very different than immigration at nine right and Very you know true. even if you fall up right even if you can you know objectively justify in your own mind that wherever you're going you know the United States being an improvement on you know the lifestyle and opportunities mm. and whatever that you have in your home country it can still be a challenge just because immigration is hard. And a lot of times we do it for our kids, right? We do it for the opportunities that our, that our children born in the U.S. will have 
um, you know, and, and the life that they'll enjoy being fully American, right? And not having to deal with like, oh, you have an accent. You're, mm-hmm. you know, where are you from? You have mm-hmm. a funny name. Maybe. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, that's true. And you, you make a valid point because the, the general assumption is that everyone is chasing greener pastures or whatever it is. It's just not like that. You know for certain people they 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 have different goals that they're chasing now we talked about the student visa the p1 the o1 and the green card is there anyone as far as the athletes are concerned is there anyone that is missing um so there's this this thing called the national interest waiver um it's sort of uh this this kind of in between the uh the visas and the extraordinary ability green card it doesn't require extraordinary ability it requires exceptional ability so it's a slightly lower threshold but I think it's really challenging to get it for athletes because basically what it requires is that in addition to showing that you have some you know, significant accomplishments, it's also premised on the idea that you are going to be coming to the U.S. to undertake work that is of national importance, that has the ability to impact the U.S. on a, you know, a global scale, like you know, mm. national scale. Right, and that has some intrinsic merit and value. And I find that, you know, especially with with athletes, it's really difficult to meet because, you know, for most sports, in order to compete for the U.S., you have to be a U.S. citizen. So, mm-hmm. you know, so you're not going to be able to, to demonstrate that you're going to compete as a part of the U.S. team if you're merely a green card holder. So it, it go kind of runs counter to the requirements of that classification because you have to be able to demonstrate that immediately upon getting your green card, you're going to be very, very useful to the U.S., right? And so, and here, you're not going to be able to be useful until you're a U.S. citizen, which, Mm. you know, most cases is going to be at least five years from the time that you get your green card. And in many cases, in many sports, the reality of your career duration means that you'll be retired before you get there, right? Because... (laughs) Because people are, you know, are, are done with, you know, with track and field usually before they're 30, you know. Um, and in other sports, you know, you can go a little bit longer. It depends on the sport. But in many sports, it's difficult. So um, so it's, it's a classification that's difficult for athletes, but that, that may work for coaches. I like it for coaches because uh, coaches can demonstrate that, hey, I can make an impact right away, Right. So I'm this like extraordinary coach from Nigeria and these are all the things that I've accomplished and I can come over here and immediately make an impact. Like maybe, you know, it's a Nigerian national who's uh, who's been coaching like, um, you know, like soccer, right? Like some of these development academies mm. for the uh, for the major leagues uh, internationally. And so, you know, maybe he's able to say that, hey, I can bring this training technique, you know, this development of youth talent to push it all up to the MLS, whatever the case may be. So, you know, so it's a classification that's probably better fitting for other professionals in the sports uh, arena rather than specifically for athletes. But, um, but yeah, but that's what I would look at. And then there's the the possibility also of something called a labor certification, which is um, a process wherein a U.S. employer has to demonstrate that there are no qualified U.S. workers for this position. For that so sometimes, same, yes. Yes. Yeah, so sometimes, like, if you're, if you're talking about a league 
like a major league, there are special procedures that they can use to file a labor certification for their athletes. It's a very, you know, underused procedure in my opinion, and and likely because it's kind of administratively convoluted. And um, and in most cases, if you're playing for the major leagues and they want to do anything for you, you're already good mm-hmm. enough for the green card through EB1A, which was the extraordinary mm-hmm. public green card that we discussed. So. Um, so we, it's it's kind of a rarely used procedure. Mm, mm. That, that that makes a lot of sense. You mentioned the coaches, in, yep. in what you recently said. Do the coaches also qualify for the P one, the O one, you know, and the, so the coaches don't qualify. Mm. Coaches don't qualify for a P one A, which is for athletes, but they may qualify for a P one S which is a support, essential support personnel visa. So if they can demonstrate, like, let's say, let's say I'm a fighter, right? And I have a personal coach, right? So Mm -hmm. this coach is the coach that's been training me for the last 10 years. He's the reason that I've been doing so well. Like I'm ranked internationally now and, um, and I'm coming to the U.S. I've been invited by a, uh, you know, a Mm -hmm. promo company in the U.S. to come fight in the U.S., Right it's probably going to be essential for me to bring my coach who has been you know so involved Mm -hmm. in my success and so that Mm -hmm. would be potentially a p1s visa but that's going to be tied to specifically the p1s is sort of a derivative visa of the p1a so i have to be coming over to support a p1a athlete Mm -hmm. what are the things the coaches can do with a P1S, so is it a case of, for example, you know, I mean, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just thinking now. So you come with your athlete to the U.S. for that event, for that competition. Is there anything that is there anything else you can do other than, you know, so it may be a series of competitions. It may be a competitive season, um, but it is a mm. very limited. This is not the sort of thing where you can moonlight and coach like other people, <laughs> or you know. Yeah. Or maybe this this particular coach is also a great cook, and he wants to open a food truck on the side. You can't do that, um, you know. So these, like when we're talking about these visas, they're really very narrowly siloed to the specific mm. area of extraordinary ability, and there's not a whole lot of wiggle room. Once you become a permanent resident, you can do any and everything. So you can coach, you can have your food truck. You know, you if can, you're a an astrophysics genius, you can go work for NASA. You know, it's it's everything in one. But the visas in particular are very narrowly defined for a specific set of activities. And, you know, and oftentimes people would be like, well, how will they find out, right? Um, <laughs> and, and so I don't know if you get this question a lot as an attorney um, in, in Nigeria, but I get this question a lot. So, like, how will they know i'm just going to be like you know selling you know whatever out of my food truck for cash like how will they know and i'm like Mm -hmm. that is the wrong question the correct question is (laughs) what will they do when they find out find out exactly we never they never think about that none and you know and i think that now we we live in a in an age and an environment where privacy is not an expectation that you can have mm. in the digital True. age you're leaving a footprint everywhere you know everywhere. here i've never been to nigeria but here in the u.s you know you've got cameras everywhere right like outside mm. of buildings Somebody with their phone cameras, right mm-hmm. their phone cameras you know you're driving down the highway 
there's a toll road that you pay. It's going to snap a picture of your license plate yeah. and send you a bill or draw money automatically from your account. You know, our movements are tracked. Um, mm. Our purchases are tracked. So things that are, um, are not easy to hide. And I don't recommend this is, you know, the one thing that I always want to reiterate uh, when I have these conversations on podcasts or when I have them with, you know, with relevant stakeholders is, you know, there are a few things that you never want to do um, to to retain your right to be able to continue to get immigration benefits in the U.S. And one of them is do things that are outside the scope of what your visa allows. And the other one is lie about anything whatsoever, because the questions that you are being asked on your immigration applications are for the most part questions that they already have answers to. They're just seeing answers if you're exactly <laughs> true. Oh, very, very, very true. So, apart from this P1S for the coaches, do they qualify for any other visas? That yeah, would so they could give them qualify mm-hmm. without being tied to their athlete. They can qualify for an O1 if they can demonstrate that they have extraordinary ability as a coach. Oh wow! So, if you're Usain Bolt's coach. You can definitely demonstrate that you're an extraordinary ability coach because here's who you groomed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, coaching cases are challenging because a lot of times it's difficult to um, connect, you know, an athlete's mm. performance with the investment yeah. of a coach yeah. and to credit a specific coach with an athlete's accomplishments, especially if there's a coaching staff involved. Um, also, you know, when we look at these extraordinary ability cases, a lot of the evidence that the regulations ask for things like, you know, awards given to you, right? And we mm. know just the realities of the sports industry, right? Coaches are not typically given awards, right? Their performance True. and their merit as a coach is typically determined by the success of their athletes, right? So, um, so in these instances, you know, we have to make some creative arguments about why you know, a, an athlete's award should matter rather than the coach's mm. award. Or like, you know, if um, if a coach is being interviewed, what's he being interviewed about? They don't usually ask him, hey, how's your day going, right? They're saying, True. why do you think your athlete did well or did poorly, right? So they're, they're being mm. interviewed about their athlete. So it's um, it can be challenging and it takes the right kind of legal framing to be able to really um, shine the spotlight on them because they're so behind the scenes by definition and by virtue of the way that, you know, the work is set up, right? So um, so it can be challenging. So if you're not Usain Bolt's coach, then, you know, making these arguments can be a little bit more um, more challenging than in, in certain other situations. Mm. Can, can a coach qualify for a green card based off yes. of their coaching? Yes, yes. Oh. I've done many coaches like that, yes. So but again, you have to show that you're one. very, very good. Mm. You have to show that mm. you're among the best coaches, you know, in whatever arena it is that you coach in. So, um, you know, so I just did a couple of coaching cases. I did one for a guy who coaches in um, in Taekwondo, um, and he got his O1 approved. We had another one where it was a judo coach. Now, this is this will I'll give you an example of sort of the um, the ignorance of the agency with these cases a lot of the time. Right? <laughs> um, so this one actually got denied, and we're in the process of appealing it in federal court. Um, mm. 
but the gentleman in question groomed single-handedly, so he's the primary coach to the world champion in judo. Mm. And, um, and so it's crazy because they said that the world championship medal by mm. this judo athlete doesn't matter because, get this, it's only in his weight class. What? Yeah, I had the same reaction, right? I'm like, well, what were you expecting? Did he need to, like, put on 30 pounds and, and compete in a different weight class at the same competition? Are you kidding me right now? Like, you know, and this is kind of where this, this is sometimes what we have to deal with. You know, we mm. don't always win. And when we don't win, it's usually because of stuff like this, right? Because mm. mm. I tend to vet my cases. Like, I don't like to file borderline cases. I tend to, you know, I want to file cases that are strong. Um, yeah. You know, it helps my reputation. And, um, you know, and I don't want to take people's money and promise them the world and then not be able to deliver it. And not deliver so, it, exactly. You know, so, it's funny because we were working on these two coaches at the same time, right? And the guy that got the Taekwondo coach that got his O one, and like I said, the, the criteria are largely the same. The standard mm. of achievement is largely the same uh, for certain reasons because this the Taekwondo coach needed to come in faster, so we were going to do the O one yes, yeah. faster. It's a bit of a faster processing time. So we were really thinking that the Taekwondo guy was the weaker case. He wasn't as accomplished. He didn't have a world champion, okay? Um, whereas the the judo guy oh, had a yeah. world champion, right? Yeah. So we were really thinking <laughs> they were going to fight us on the Taekwondo coach and give us the judo coach. And it turned out to be mm. the opposite because this particular adjudicator does mm. not understand that mm. there's not an overall, you know, uh, win that you can have in, in judo. So, um, so yeah, it was it was pretty crazy, um, you know. But like I said, we're currently fighting it on appeal in federal court. Hopefully, we will be mm -hmm, victorious. Mm -hmm, but, mm -hmm. uh, but this is the kind of stuff that we sometimes <laughs> have to deal with. Is you know, like I, I don't want to get too far yes, in, in yes, the realm of war yes. stories and not for your audience. But sometimes we have to explain sort of you know certain obvious things. Like you know, they they'll come back and say. Oh, we see that your client <laughs> had an ESPN wow. documentary about them, but there's no evidence that ESPN is major. In the world, media. exactly. Not in the U.S., in like, the world. <laughs> ESPN is literally the number one sports network in the world. Not in the U.S., in the world. Yeah, and wine is... And this, you know, so sometimes wine. I find myself wow. arguing that water is wet and the sky is blue, and um, and that can be very, very frustrating. See, this is this is absolutely yeah. what I love about doing this. You know, I, I get questions about that people ask me is how do you how do you combine law and the podcast and all of that, and and I tell them without even missing words is it's because of conversations like this. So this is what I like about this. And this is what I also don't like because we are now 50 minutes gone already. And it looks like we've been talking for 10 minutes. Like literally, I'm looking at the timer now and I'm like, yeah, yeah. Where, did, where did all the time go? That's what happens when you're having fun. But, but just before I let you go, you know, let's talk quickly about dependents. So parents of young athletes, uh, maybe family members or something. Yeah. Do they qualify for any types of visas? Sure. What, what can they get? Yeah. Yes. 
So um, the only visa where you're not going to be looking at sort of a um, an option for a dependent mm-hmm. slash a parent. Um, so okay, <laughs> back up. How do, I, how do I frame this in a way that's kind of easy to understand? So most derivative visas, so like most visas, will have derivative status mm. for a spouse and children under the age of 21 oh. who are unmarried. Okay. Mm. Okay. So it goes not down, down but mm-hmm. not up, right? So, so you typically cannot bring in a parent as a derivative mm. of your visa. However, if you have a P or an O, and you can establish that the parent is essential to the performance of the athlete, because a lot of times the parents are involved yeah, exactly. in the management, or the parents, you know, especially if it's like a, a young athlete, mm. the parent may be the coach, right? Um, We've seen those scenarios. So to the extent that we can demonstrate that the parent is essential and critical to the performance of the athlete, we may be able to get them a derivative status under that essential support personnel Mm -hmm. visa. Um, On the B-1, you know, everybody has to qualify for their B-1 independent, right? So, you know, it may be that the athlete gets Mm -hmm. it and the parent does not, right? And, and with everything else, that's always the case, right? So you may have a situation, for example, where let's say you have an athlete, let's say the athlete got a P1 visa. He's an extraordinary track and field athlete. Mm. And let's say he's married. And so his spouse is eligible for the derivative status, right? Then, you know, each person, when they go to that consular interview, because we have come, kind of coming back to where we began this conversation, the purpose of the consular interview is to establish whether a person falls within the categories of people who are not eligible to come to the U.S. Yes. at all for whatever reason, mm-hmm. for reasons that are enumerated in the uh, the U.S. immigration laws, right? So these may be things like you may have committed certain mm-hmm. types of crimes, right? That would make you ineligible to receive a visa unless you get a, a waiver. You may or may not be eligible for a waiver. So... If, you know, if you've got that P1 athlete and their spouse would technically be eligible to get the derivative visa status, however, if the spouse is a convicted felon, they Mm. may not be able to come in. So there's no guarantee. There's still sort of an independent security vetting of every Mm. applicant. So just the mere fact that your spouse uh, has some kind of visa that in theory you know, uh, provides the basis for eligibility for a derivative status does not guarantee a visa issuance Mm. in your case in every instance, because each person still has to demonstrate that they are admissible to the U.S., Mm. meaning that they do not fall within these grounds of inadmissibility. Mm. Let's just paint a a, a quick scenario before before I let you go. So my daughter, for example, we're talking about this before um, we hit the record button. You know, she plays tennis currently. You know, and yep. she's quickly improving, and it, it's something that she it looks like she wants to do, you know, for the long term. You know, and she mm-hmm. gets a P one or an O one visa at a particular point in time when she's below the ages of twenty one. What would you professionally advise somebody like me to do in terms of visa application? So, uh, as the parent, right? So as we're talking parent. about how do we get the parent, right? Yes. So, you know, we would, 
every circumstance is a little bit different, right? If we have the argument for an essential support personnel visa, then that's what we go for, okay? Hmm. If not, then you would need to independently qualify for some other kind of visa status to get you to the U.S. So it may be a tourist visa where you just come mm-hmm. in, you know, you're admitted for a maximum of 180 days and you go back. It may be, you know, you may be eligible for some sort of employment-based visa. Maybe you're, you know, you're being sponsored for, um, you know, for a position with a U.S. law firm, for example, and they're doing an H-1B for you. Um, that's a possibility, right? Mm-hmm. Um you may want to go to the U.S. to uh, to continue your education and, and become a U.S. licensed attorney, and so in that case, you may be eligible to uh, you know to get a student visa, and you'll be here, and you know, and your daughter will mm. be uh, competing as an O1 or a P1 in tennis. So, you know, it it's the sort of thing where for parents, it's always a little bit more challenging than it is for spouses mm. and children. So again, the derivative status flows down, not up. Not not up not up Fan- yeah. fantastic wow this has been a pleasurable conversation I've, I've totally enjoyed it you know most of the uh people i have on the podcast are usually performance based so i usually ask them you know at the end of the interviews and i'll ask you as well you can you can answer from you know an attorney's point of view advising an athlete because you see a lot of performance i mean you just told us that you know justin gatlin is your friend so i'm sure you've seen a few things if there's an athlete who is listening to us now you know and they ask you know, they ask you, Ksenia, I've listened to you and Tola talk over the last one hour. I've heard all the things that you've said. What is one thing that I can do today that gets me a step closer to my goals? Now, uh, maybe the goal of this athlete, you know, is to eventually be internationally recognized, qualify for one of these visas that we have talked about. They just need one thing, not not the whole staircase, not the whole building. Just yeah. one thing they can start off with that gets them a step closer. What would you say that one thing is? NCAA, that's my that's my answer. My one word answer: get into the NCAA. Wow, wow! Get because into the NC- mm-hmm. yeah, get into a U.S. college or university to compete at the NCAA level because it, you know the U.S. is is an advantageous position for you not only from a competition perspective but like also mm-hmm. from just a an imaging perspective, right? Like, mm. you're automatically going to get more coverage because you compete in the U.S., right? More press mm. coverage, more significant press coverage. You're going to get opportunities to connect with people. Um, you yeah. know, you may find love. And, you know, and when I mentioned <laughs> things that you do not do, okay, when it comes to U.S. immigration law. So I'll give you um, I'll give you the list of sort of... <laughs> of uh, you know, the, the deadly sins, right? And U.S. immigration law. Deadly sin number mm. one, you don't lie, okay? Yeah, because don't lie. Because you, you can't <laughs> from the U.S. if you lie on your U.S. immigration applications, okay? Deadly mm-hmm. sin number two is don't two. fake marry somebody, okay? Mm. I know we've all seen the 90-day fiancé, okay? Some of that stuff is like, really, really, you're trying to sell this to somebody. Um, it's tragic. But, but seriously, not only is it tragic, but it is the kiss of death in U.S. immigration. If you get caught entering into a marriage for papers, you will be mm. forever inadmissible to the United States. I don't care if you have kids here. I don't care if you have 20 kids here. I don't care if you mm. later get married to a U.S. citizen and it's real. You will not fix your status because it is the kiss of death. 
you will also mm. be subject to a $250,000 fine and 10 years in federal prison. So don't wow. do it. Okay. <laughs> so like, I've gone from like things you do to things you don't do. Okay. So don't that's do. Kiss- <laughs> yeah, yeah. So don't lie. Don't get fake married. And this kind of goes along with don't lie. Don't file a fake asylum application. This mm. is another one. Mm. Okay. Fake mm. asylum will get you forever barred from the U.S., right? So if you're fabricating your evidence for your asylum application, you will be forever barred from the United States. You know, mm. um, there are ways to get to the U.S. that are legitimate. These are the things that you should be exploring, work with an immigration attorney to get you there. But, you know, but, but don't lie, don't cheat. These are the things that will come back and bite you in the butt and you don't want to make these you know young hot-headed mistakes and and have mm. that come back and and you know and foreclose further opportunities for you in the united states so this mm. is yeah. in my opinion and but look with the caveat that i have not been to nigeria so i may change my mind when i come to mm. visit okay Later, right? <laughs> I, america, I think america is the greatest country in the world and and i i think that we really and truly have the opportunity to add to our melting pot of diversity and talent and people are welcome and their cultures are welcome and and that's beautiful and um and this is a place where you can flourish professionally and personally and spiritually so i you know i'm very happy to be here i love it don't don't close the door by doing stupid stuff Mm. Mm. Fantastic. So NCAA, then of course the things you shouldn't do, then how you should approach it. Final question, Kesenia. The name of the podcast is Athlete Maestro. And like I said, you know, before we started, the reason I started it was to help athletes, guide athletes, these young athletes. Many of the things you've said are a lot of things I talk about on the podcast. You know, how to do things. Don't, don't, Don't do things this way. We talk about the performance side. So many of all these things. I wanted basically to help athletes master their crafts of being athletes. That, that was the goal. What, in your estimation, does it mean to be a master of your craft? Now, we're talking about sports because you're the mm-hmm. sports visa lawyer, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think being a master athlete is so multifaceted. Mm-hmm. I, I'm so fascinated by athletes and and what they bring to the table in every setting, right? Like they are the consummate chameleon. They can mm. shape shift and, and adapt to situations. They're highly diplomatic, highly adaptive, um, very intelligent. Look, you know, there's the stereotype that athletes are dumb. You cannot be an, <laughs> a, a high level athlete and be dumb. It just does dumb. not work. Yeah. <laughs> it does not work. Um, so, you know, so for me, it's, it's really, it's, it's being a master of so many different crafts. You know, it's, it's about being able to present yourself from a PR perspective. You know, it's, mm. it's as much about what you're doing on the field or on the court or on the track as much as it is what, of what you're doing off of it, right? You have to be able to sell yourself, especially in this environment where, you know, uh, social media presence and content creation um, is so important Mm. and you know and the one thing that i really like about athletes that i think people don't give them enough credit for is the creativity like people in the sports space are so creative in a way that is to me um often unexpected and um and Mm. and i think underappreciated 
But so many of the athletes that I know and that I represent actually have, you know, art or like really high level art as hobbies on the side or sometimes even professionally and they're making money from it. So, you know, so I think it's, it's about everything. It's about, um, it's about being a wholesome individual. Mm, mm, fantastic. So being a master of your craft, multifaceted has a lot of things to it. Thank you so much, Ksenia, for joining me on the podcast. This is the first time I've had a fellow lawyer, right? Um, on the po- oh, oh, second time actually, awesome. but first female. The sports, yeah, the sports lawyer agent in Belgium, um, Stan Francis, and then you, you know, on okay. the podcast. It's it's been it's been I've enjoyed it. Like literally I've enjoyed it. It's like it's like it's been ten minutes. You know, a lot of people ask me they're like, you know, why don't you have a lot of guests on the podcast? And I'm like, it's for this reason because when I bring a guest on, it has to make sense. It has to gel. It has to be a conversation that yeah. people would gladly listen to, and I myself will enjoy. So I thank you so much for for joining me, for coming on. You know, you didn't say who is this guy from this corner of the world who is messaging me, wanting to bring oh, me on the podcast. So no, I really I appreciate you for coming on. I told you, I get so excited about the opportunity to, you know, to talk shop with other attorneys and you're a phenomenal interviewer. You make um, the, the space really comfortable. And like you mentioned, it just flows well and um, you know, keep doing what you're doing. It's awesome. I'm going to be following the podcast and, uh, and you going forward. And I hope we'll have an opportunity to collaborate professionally in the future and, you know, don't give up on the uh, the possibility of maybe going to the uh, the U.S. for law school. <laughs> I knew I knew you were going to come back with that and mention yeah. it, but definitely it's something <laughs> it's Think something that I would take. Uh, it's something that I would think about, you know, and take it under advisement. Please quickly tell us how we can follow you, how we can connect with you, um, your social media handles, your website. You know, anybody has any questions, how they can reach out yeah, to you. Yeah, so uh, social media. Basically, if you Google the sports visa lawyer, all my stuff comes up. And this is why I coined that moniker and got a registered trademark on it because I figured wow. it would be easier to search for me that way. Um you know, because again, I have a funny name, difficult to spell, difficult to, to pronounce. So I don't expect all of you to remember it. But the sports visa lawyer is easy enough. If you Google me, you'll find me. Um, I'm sports visa lawyer on uh, Instagram and sports visa law on Twitter. They didn't let me add the ER. It was, I guess, too long for the handle. Wow. So, wow. Fantastic. It. Uh, fantastic so definitely i'm sure that um, a lot of people will be reaching out to you thank you so much for all you do i really appreciate you and thank you for coming on thank you and there you have it guys and of course uh, i'm sure if you're still on the shores of africa or maybe you're in one of the european countries this episode would have opened your eyes the o1 visa the p1 visa getting a green card you know and some of the other things that she talks about your b1 b2 visa getting a student visa competing in the nta and all these things that you have to do to ensure that you fully take advantage of your performance so you performing and of course taking advantage yes i know there's some of you that might be listening to this episode and you know it's not your cup of tea you don't want to move to the u.s because obviously great things are happening where you are but for those of you who this speaks to right you now have the tools you have everything you need to ensure that you take full advantage of it it was such a beauty guys you see what i was talking about at the beginning when it comes to expertise showing your expertise 
that is Ksenia, you know, in a nutshell. Like, uh, expertise was on full display. Even as a fellow lawyer, guys, you know, I was listening with intent and I was like, hmm, there you go again. Absolutely brilliant episode. But like I said also at the beginning, knowledge is power, yes, but you have to act on it, guys. So, set things in motion. And of course, if you have any questions, you can reach out to her. She's on Instagram, at Sports Visa Lawyer. At Sports Visa Lawyer on Twitter. She's a sports visa law. So you can reach out to her, ask her any questions that you want. And of course, I put her website as well in the show notes so that you can also go there and listen to it. If you enjoyed this episode, guys, don't forget to share it with your fellow athlete, someone on your team, someone in the facility that you train, someone in your school. Send them this episode. Let them learn all they need to do about sports visas and of course, how to get them, how to approach them and all that jazz and all that jazz head over to the website guys athletemaestro.com check out the free and paid resources that we have for you there all of it is geared to helping you ensure that you master the mental and physical aspects of sports and you also come up with a strategy and a plan to achieve your sports goals getting sports visas guys is a part of the strategy angle if you are in a better place to perform to train right then of course it means that you're going to get closer to the goals that you're chasing in sports if you haven't subscribed to the podcast so that you don't miss great episodes just like this one with Ksenia you want to head over to athletemaestro.com forward slash subscribe athletemaestro.com forward slash subscribe so you learn how to subscribe you also learn how to leave a rating and review because that's exactly what we do for you here we give you all of this special episodes education to help you achieve your sports goals and of course it's very important that other athletes find the podcast athletemaestro.com forward slash subscribe athletemaestro.com forward slash subscribe if you have any questions whatsoever send me a mail tola at athletemaestro.com tola at athletemaestro.com i'll catch you guys on the next episode of the show remember knowing it's not enough you must apply willing it's not enough you must do i want you to go out there apply all the things you've learned from ksenia myrova i want you to go out there and i want you to be a maestro today and every single day.